What up, guys and girls? It's Bobby. And Sean. And we have, for the first time on the Coronas cast... James. James is here. We're here. We're back for a week's episode of the Coronas cast. This week's episode is brought to you guys by 10,000. Use the code Cronus15 for 15% off. And uh, a and then a portion of that will come to help us at Cronus Fit. Um, big fan of the shirts. Uh, I've been wearing the shirts a lot when I've been working out. Um, highly recommended. Uh, the Versatile shirt is really a nice shirt to wear. Yeah, and trying out the, I guess, the new tactical line of shirts that they're coming out with. Um, super comfortable. A couple different materials, I think, that they're using. But uh, I've been working out in it all week, and it's great. Again, we don't buy Lululemon now. so No, anti-Lululemon. Anti-Lululemon. But, yeah. Uh, so, I guess, uh, since <clears throat> James is on for this week... Um, I guess, James, you want to introduce yourself, say a little something about um, kind of your background, uh, and then we can kind of transition into a little bit more nutrition center talk. Yeah, yeah. So I'm uh, I'm living in Maryland right now. And uh, so I'm a dietetic student at Kansas State University. So I'm studying to be a registered dietitian. And I have a few certifications like nutrition related, one from NASA and the National Academy of Sports Medicine, and the other one from uh, Clean Health Fitness in- Institute. And I'm also the coach for Cronus Fit. So uh, if you see that we offer nutrition coaching now, that's I'm the guy that does that. Uh, also, the articles that are released, uh, haven't released one in a few weeks now, but, uh, you know, you probably saw on Instagram those get released uh, here and there. So I'm also the guy that writes those articles, too. So, yeah. That's awesome. A hey, big question, though. Do you pronounce Baltimore Balmore? And are you a Ravens fan? Uh, <laughs> I'm not a Ravens fan. I'm actually a Broncos fan. But uh, if oh. you live in Baltimore, yeah, you pronounce it that way, Baltimore or whatever the fuck. But uh, I don't say it like that. Well, Bobby Me and I are Eagles fans, so I, I guess that's fine not being an Eagles fan. But you're not a Baltimore fan, so that's fine too. I do like the the Ravens, not going to lie. Fun team to watch. Yeah, I, I think what it what what's the field up? Not M and T Bank. Was it M and T Bank? Yeah, M&T. yeah. I I like uh, I like the harbor down Baltimore, um, crab cakes and like really mediocre football. Um, so I guess uh, we get a lot of questions pretty much every week about nutrition. Like, so what are some things that um, for James, kind of some. Uh, misconceptions that you see tossed around that are kind of common misconceptions that always come floating your way? Um, I think one is the importance of meal timing. So a lot of times people ask like, Oh, carbs at a certain time, usually like around nighttime. Um, in general, meal timing is probably the least of your worries. Uh, maybe after you establish, you know, good fundamental dietary habits, you're consistently hitting your macro targets or you're intuitively eating maybe and uh, your weight is doing what you want it to do, like lose weight, gain weight, whatever, maintain. Uh, once you have, you know, all the main things in place and you're able to adhere to your way of eating, then you can look more into uh, timing your meals out. Uh, you know, you could argue the, the field of chrono nutrition, which is basically like meal timing according to like your circadian rhythm, that area of research is fairly new. And the idea that, uh, you know, there's an optimal way to time your meals or you get some sort of better benefit out of, uh, 
having more calories at a certain time or less calories at a certain time, it's uh, it's negligible. So I think the in just generally speaking, meal timing, uh, usually like talking about like carbs before bed or slaying protein after a workout, uh, it's nowhere near of, of as much importance as some of the other things uh, that I mentioned earlier. So that's uh, that's definitely one. Um, yeah, I was going to say, like, uh, for that aspect, I've always remembered seeing, like, that infographic or the graphic of, like, the pyramid of, like, nutrition. At the basic pyramid is, like, your just calories. Base the pyramid is calories. So that's your most important. The next level is, like, macronutrient breakdown. On top of that is, like, um, uh, like yeah, like, micronutrients. On top of that is, like, tithing. On top of that, like, supplements. So, like... Um, for the vast majority, I think it's like calories and macronutrients takes up like 80% of what your, you know, overall nutrition comes down to. Yeah. And to be honest, I would say that like, um, for most people that are probably listening to this, like that's going to be most of it right there. This is like adhering to your macros and calories. Um, the last little bit you gain out of like optimal timing, uh, of like your meals or supplements it's negligible and honestly unless you're stepping on stage or you're like some sort of professional athlete it's probably not worth the extra hassle or the potential compromise to adherence uh because those things matter you know that matters more but if you want to if you have everything down and you know you have the extra energy and you want to go for it uh sure you could you could do it but uh definitely don't uh, put that in front of the other more fundamental important things yeah, it's like the uh, like the 99th, 98th percentile, that, that little bit of extra. So, like, say you're, like, in peak physical performance shape, you know, just, like, a human specimen. I'll, I'll uh, thinking off the top of my head, me. Um, like, for, for average people, though, out there that aren't godly and they're, you know, mortals, uh, is there a benefit to, like, before PT, for instance, eating a banana with peanut butter? Or, you know, are there small things that you can do that maybe – aren't representative of a whole meal that you would recommend or is that something that they should not worry about either? Yeah. In general, like when it comes to like food selection, I mean, it, it depends on what it's made up of, like the macros and micros. So specific food selection isn't, it, it's not, it's not like spe- there are certain foods that are better. It just depends on what they're made up of. So uh, like in your example, like a peanut butter and banana, like you could obviously you could uh, uh, substitute that for something that's also carbs and fats. And that would probably work just as well. So, uh, I mean, it doesn't have to be like that specific. Uh, it just depends on, you know, like what the foods are made up of. And you can that kind of gives you more flexibility, too. So, um, yeah. So like, so what, because that's a common question that we get is like um, people always ask us, like, what should I eat before I work out? Or, you know, I'm waking up in the morning, early morning to go to PT, like, what should I eat? Usually, I'd prefer, like, something light, like a piece of fruit or, like, something, like a piece of toast or something, just a little bit of something. Or, I, generally speaking, I don't eat anything before I work out, but, you know, a lot of people like to have something before they work out. What do you think is a good uh, good meal or snack or something before? Yeah, so uh, this is, like, extremely individually dependent. Uh, you know, it comes down to mainly goals and preferences, I would say would be the, the two top things. But, um, well, first of all, let's get one thing straight. The, <laughs> the evidence on like pre-workout meals is very mixed. So you have a lot of studies that say that like, you know, training fasted actually has the same performance as, uh, with a meal. And I think that just goes to show that it's individually dependent. 
But um, so if you feel like you're a person that, you know, does better with a meal, typically uh, mixed carbohydrate sources. And this is just to now this is just coming from like a purely mechanistic uh, point of view. But uh, yeah, so that would be mixed carbohydrate sources. So like complex and simple carbo carbohydrates to uh, utilize like different transporter rates to get more sustained energy and then just some protein and then ideally low fats uh, because that just slows down uh, digestion. So you want it to, you know, kind of uh, kick in quick, quickly. So that could be, you know, like I said, it does, the, there are no really no specific foods for that. It could be anything that fits those uh, parameters, I guess. So uh, typically what I like is like a piece of fruit as like the simple carb source and then any starch source. So like rice, pasta, potato, bread, whatever. And then just like whatever protein source you want. So like meat, a whey shake. Um, a common question I see uh, on the Instagram is, you know, like I train early in the morning and I don't have that much time like for food to digest or whatever. And I just need something like quick and light. So for that situation, I think like just something you can't go wrong with would be like a whey shake, a piece of fruit, and then just like maybe some sort of starch source, like a granola bar or like a small cup of oats or a banana. Um, but uh, yeah, you don't need to get too complicated with it because again, this is uh, the, <laughs> kind of falling back to that pyramid. The, the base of the pyramid is like your total targets for the day. So you're, you're talking about a very small difference here in whether or not you hit the most, the best pre-workout meal for yourself or not. But uh, yeah, and it also depends on what you like too, because that matters too. So pick stuff that you would, you know, someone enjoy too. Um, but yeah, so no need to overcomplicate it. <laughs> and I so I know, you know, James and Dr. Bobby here, the experts on a lot of the language you just heard, all take the culinary side of the house. Do not microwave a piece of cantaloupe with rice. Um, oh my God, what the I'm just saying, you know, people are listening to us. He said fruit and some starch. I'm just saying I wouldn't put the two together like that. I would not microwave my rice with my fruit. So for anyone out there that might have been confused by the mechanized language, you're thinking maybe a Bradley. I'm letting you know, don't microwave them together. Yeah, I'll say like, uh, you know, personally speaking, I always train fasted. Um, like today, for example, I woke up, drank some coffee, and then hopped on the bike for a 45-minute bike ride. But that works for me. Like, I've never eaten before working out almost ever. Uh, and that seems to work for me, but definitely your, you know, mileage might vary. Yeah, I try not to, to eat either, like, before I... I swam this morning, definitely not before running. I just like hate running on any kind of stomach like mm -hmm. that's got anything in it because it, it, I feel like within five to six miles, I, I'm looking for somewhere to go to the bathroom, uh, which is like the worst feeling. And on the bike, the bike I'll, I'll generally eat during my bike rides um, and try to get like 25%-ish of the calories that I'm going to burn throughout the course. But uh, yeah, eating, eating on a full stomach, I mean, working out on any kind of stomach, like full or half has always been kind of something I, I've steered away from just cause like, I don't want part of my workout being dedicated to figuring out why my, my belly hurts. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, uh, that's another thing that, uh, people also need to consider is like how you're going to feel too, because, uh, you know, you might think like, Oh, calories in my body, more energy going to perform better. Uh, but like a lot of times people, this is very individually dependent. Again, uh, sometimes when people have like carbs, like right before they work out, they'll just get like a massive, 
uh, like a BG blood glucose response and uh, they kind of like crash in the middle of their workout. So that's just something to consider too. Um, in that case, you may be probably better off with no calories, even though you feel like those calories would help with energy, it's going to end up making you feel worse. So what about the crowd of people that you see in the, in the gym with like, you know, a gallon thing of water and they're putting some sort of powder into it. I, I don't know the word there's like protein or like a BCA mix. What do you recommend for people out there that want something during the workouts? Is there, is there a good answer for that? Um, or, you know, is it something along the same lines that you say, like focus on the base of this pyramid? Yeah. So again, it, yeah, it's, it comes down to the base of the pyramid, but, uh, you, if you want, to, if you really want to spend your money, you could do EAAs, but would that provide you uh, an additional benefit? Like, will that actually put on more muscle or uh, enhance recovery or do anything like that? Uh, probably not really if you're just getting enough protein in general. Um, if you train fasted, then you could probably benefit from maybe a carb or protein or both shake during your workout just to uh decrease you know muscle protein breakdown and just give you something some some form of energy and same for like if you train for like long periods of time so if you're training for like on a like two hours or more then you would probably benefit from some carbs during your workout and there is actually uh, a lot of studies that show benefit from that and not just from carb consumption but actually uh, there have been studies where they literally just swish glue, like a, a Gatorade or a sugar sweetened beverage in the subject's mouth. Like they just gargle it, they spit it out and then they actually, it actually improves their performance. So if you're dieting, maybe that's something you could do. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, so for long workouts or fasted workouts, maybe you could consider like some carbs or protein in a shake uh, during your workout. It's actually, I remember, I actually know about the the biochemical mechanism for that um it's like a neurochemical neurobiological chemical link basically if once you have like sugar in your mouth it releases a hormone called glp1 uh, which is similar to glucagon which increases it gives your body like pumps your body uh makes your body think that you're eating sugar so your body increases like the insulin release and helps like uh increase the blood sugar levels which is why like iv uh if you do like glucose through the IV, it's not as efficient as glucose through the mouth. We've been doing this podcast for how many years? And this is the most scientific, like probably what people want to hear about the most. God, we have, I'm so sorry. I am, I am so out of my league with you too. Yeah. And then, uh, I guess we can, what else is Irish comments? We talk about like diets, I guess people always ask us like, what's the best diet for them? Like carnivore, keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, what have you. Oh, people are super opinionated too. Like we've seen some responses are like, this is just wrong. You, you can't put this out. Yeah. We have some people like try and like, uh, like DM us saying like, I would love to debate you on veganism. And we're just like, dude, it's not that big a deal. So let's get your take, James, on on the diets and the diet fanatics out there. Yeah. So for me, like any diet, uh, all diets out there are like pretty restrictive in nature. And when you look at them, there's, you know, they're either cutting out macros or cutting out food groups. 
the only one, and I'm not even sure if you would really call this a diet, that's not, is kind of like flexible dieting in my opinion, but I'm biased to that because that's obviously what I do. But um, so yeah, so the best diet for you, and I wrote an article on this, so you could look, uh, it's called like the, what's the best fat loss diet? It's on the website. But uh, basically it comes down to the one that you can stick to the best because no matter what this, so there are a couple of reasons for that. Um, no matter how effective a diet is, and I'm not saying one diet is more effective than another, and I'll come back to that. But uh, if you can't adhere to it, then it's it's not going to be effective. So you need to be able to actually work it. And you hear people say this like, oh, I've tried keto, I've tried fasting, or I've tried this and that, and I didn't lose weight. Well, that's like saying, uh, I went to school, I did the work, and I got a D. Well, <laughs> it's probably because you didn't exactly do it right, you know? So, uh, and another thing is, is that uh, when they compare diets in varying macronutrients or keto with paleo or Atkins or whatever, um, they, there was a study where they compared like 14 different diets and they all pretty much lost close, like within one or two pounds of the same amount of weight. So it goes to show that there really wasn't a, a diet that was more superior than another. So it just comes down to what you can adhere to. And that that'll come down to, you know, some sort of, some form of active restriction, something you're willing to sacrifice because you're not going to get anywhere if nothing changes and then just tailoring it to your preferences. And it doesn't, and I think it doesn't have to be a diet. It doesn't have to be keto or paleo. It could just be like, you know, kind of like whatever fits your macros or like flexible dieting or whatever. It doesn't have to have a name. It could just be like your own way of eating. It could be like, you know, a mix of uh, like, it could be like a, a vegetarian diet where you eat dairy. There's actually a name for this, but like it could be a vegetarian diet where you eat fish, uh, lean meats and dairy. And if that's something that works for you and like cutting out red meat and other stuff like that, uh, other animal products, then that that's totally fine. So it doesn't have to have like a, a diet or a name attached to it. It's just whatever you can stick to best that actively restrict uh, performing some sort of cognitive restraint. Something's got to go and then uh, tailoring it to your preferences, kind of. Yeah, like I've talked about a lot in the past about like intermittent fasting, and I found uh, over the years that intermittent fasting, that works pretty well for me. Um, like I usually, like when I'm working pretty hard, I only eat for like four or five hours a day. And that seems, that and that works well for me. Like yesterday, you know, I got two workouts in, like worked out for like two and a half hours. I'm a completely fasted state. And, you know, just that, that just works for me, but you know, definitely doesn't work for everybody. And same thing with like the other diets, like we we're saying, it boils down to like calories and macros. And if it works for you, it works for you, you know? And we keep hearing stuff too. Like I think Joe Rogan promoted like a, for a month, all he ate was red meat and eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, carnivore. I, I would wonder if, if these diets aren't somehow related to the industries that they promote. Uh, it, you know, they, they didn't have, so for the carnivore diet, whether you've got some beef, uh, conglomerate or corporation like pushing this kind of study or, you know, Atkins, you know, how how much in your experience, uh, James, do you think that an industry impacts the way that we see diet culture? I know we have like Weight Watchers and all these other programs, but do you think there's more uh, um, pressure from larger corporations or or do you think this is just someone sitting in the room that comes up with a, a cool, unique way to eat food? No, it's definitely that. And that's a huge limitation in like nutritional science. Um, So it's not uncommon to see 
you know, studies that say eggs are beneficial coming out from the egg industry. And, uh, you know, there was a, a recent meta-analysis that showed it was completely cherry-picked, but it was, uh, it was basically came from some university in Texas that was getting funded uh, from the beef industry, the, the cattle industry. And uh, it was basically saying that like red meat reduces your risk of heart disease. So that's like a huge, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, uh, it's like pressure to publish and um, also just industry funding plays a large role in the studies that are produced. And uh, that eventually, that kind of trickles down into the diets that get popularized. You know, this study says, uh, you know, this diet, or this way of eating or this food is going to do this for you. It has this health benefit or whatever. So that's, and I mean, you have that with like pretty much everything. There's always going to be some sort of like bias or industry funding, but that definitely plays a huge role. And I think that uh, it's just hard to find, you know, most nutrition uh, like experts or gurus or like people you find on YouTube or whatever, most of them uh, are, they're heavily biased to their way of eating. Um, and some of it's due to like, you know, financial gain, but uh yeah, so there's a there's always like a there's a large amount of bias and people it's kind of like a religion now. People are so stuck to their way of eating, uh, and they want to push it so badly that they they cherry pick and they uh, they go as far as like you know falsifying data and stuff like that. So yeah, it plays a huge role in like the 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 diets that get popularized, I guess. Yeah, it's like uh, I remember, like in the eighties, nineties, it was like fat was the enemy, and like sh and like carbs are good for you. And then like now, it's like all the like dairy and like meat producers are saying like fat's good for you now, and like carbs are bad for you. And like Coca Cola is like funding research about like you know like sugars and stuff. So it's just all kind of muddled. Um, I think ultimately, you know, if you eat a whole balance, like a whole diet that's not full and like processed foods, you're probably gonna be fine. Yeah, I mean that's that's not that's not wrong at all. That's pretty accurate. But uh it yeah, it does get it does kind of boil down to a lot of like nitpickiness, like getting really specific. But what you just said, uh if people just did if like Americans just did that, they would be a lot healthier, you know, without having to like overcomplicate it or getting into anything too crazy or specific. Um I think like one of the best rules is just practice balance and moderation because I can assure you um pretty much well most people listening to this i guarantee you they could fit any food in their diet and reach their goal and be healthy or whatever um it it is very individually dependent but for most people they can what i just said applies to them they could pretty much fit any food in as long as they practice some you know moderation and balance within their diet and focus on the, the whole picture and not just like you know is eating this steak gonna is eating steak gonna be bad for me or something just the whole composition of your diet, not just like focusing on like a single macronutrient or a single food or whatever. Yeah, but I want to eat my McDonald's and eat my ice cream too. So that's what I want to do. I think one of the things that's really frustrating and, and we've seen, I mean, for like the last couple of years, people will reply. It's like we, we've got, you know, Dr. Bobby here and he'll say something medically related and people will sometimes not comment. But then we'll go into something about diet or nutrition uh, and James, do you, do you find it like super frustrating? Like you are becoming an expert in this field when someone reads one or two articles and tries to like rebuff something that you say, because like, I would be really annoyed by these, like, you know, 
almost influencers that are sitting out there that they've found one thing that works for them. And then they expect that people will just take it as gospel. And if anyone has a different opinion, even if they're experts in that field, they're like, no, 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 I've done the research. So like, can you talk about maybe like how long it takes to develop some of of your methodology when it comes to diet and nutrition um, and where people would have major shortfalls and just reading one or two articles and relying exclusively on that? Yeah. So that's called the Dunning-Kruger effect, by the way. (laughs) And uh, that's not uncommon because people, everyone eats. So everyone feels like they have like their, they have like the, their opinion holds value. So they think they know what they're talking about. But uh, yeah, expertise, like I, to be honest, I'm not even sure if I would, I don't think I'd consider myself an expert just because I have such a high standard for that word. But um, expertise takes many years to develop. And especially when you're talking about something as vast and evolving as nutrition, uh, it's not only the, you have to look at the data, but also you also have to have that foundation of the mechanisms and how all that works. And that's something that you don't get from just like reading a cherry picked article. And, and that's another thing. These people that do have uh, these, who are these kind of like arrogant people that think they figured it out after reading an article or two, um, they don't realize it, but they haven't looked everywhere. So they don't, they haven't like gotten the full picture. So they haven't, you know, done uh, like full research on a topic. Um, It's just kind of like, I guess, cognitive dissonance. Like they just kind of, uh, you know, take the first thing that comes their way and they think they haven't figured it out. But I guarantee you it's much more complicated than that. And uh, even when you read about uh, some things like, oh, red meat causes cancer, it's from TMAOs or heterocyclic anamines, uh, it's a lot more complicated than that. And, you know, people could draw those conclusions and they'll say things like that. But uh, there's a lot more that goes into it than just like those two chemical compounds. Um, but so, yeah, it's basically just a lot more complicated than people see it as. Uh, and a lot of times people think like nutrition is like a soft science. Um, I mean, it's really not, there's a lot of chemistry and biology involved. So it's not a, it's just not as simple as people make it out to be. Yeah. My sister tried to do it this Christmas when she watched game changers for the first time, like, you know, a year after it came out and was scolding my parents for their, you know, choice of diet. And I just sat there like, what do you, what do you, you, you watched an hour and a half long movie where they highlighted like three different athletes. And now all of a sudden, you know, I think she tries to eat as much uh, as she can to be vegan, which is like 99% of the month. But it's like, I, I, I've done the diet before, but I've never been one to be like, this is the only way there can only be one. Yeah, I think the issue I have with like game changers and the vegan diet in general is like people, especially nowadays, like the meat alternatives, like you see on the, in the grocery store. All the, like, meat alternatives are, like, terrible for you. It's, like, ultra-processed, like, soy protein and all this other junk that they just somehow add and make it have a texture of meat and flavor of meat. Which, I mean, sure, if you're trying to, like, substitute for, like, a, you know, a burger once a week, maybe not terrible for you. But, you know, that stuff ultimately is not good for you. Well, yeah, they did, they did that thing in South Park where it was like, I'm a goo man. And then Cartman loves it because he finds out, you know, that all the vegan food is super processed, just like the stuff that he's been eating for years. So, yeah, that's my thing on vegan food. Ultra processed. Anything that's ultra processed is probably not good for you. Yeah. So, um, so we did a little bit, hit a little bit about diets. Um, what else can we talk about? Supplements. Oh, supplements. Lovely. Supplements. 
so again, this is like at the top of the pyramid, and this is something that people like tend to prioritize uh, when they, you know, should be prioritizing other stuff. Um, but there really isn't a whole, there really isn't any there. Well, okay. Let me back up here. Um, the, the majority of the evidence on supplements shows that most of them, the vast majority are not that effective. And the only ones that really have a lot of evidence for their benefits are like caffeine, creatine, and then, uh, a tier below those would be like maybe beta alanine and citrulline malate. And then with beta alanine, citrulline malate, you're talking about like, again, it'll make a very small difference and it's money you got to spend on it. So you have to kind of weigh that weight against that. Is it going to be worth it? But um, yeah, for the most part, you would be better off just like focus, like having a better diet, focusing on your diet, your training, your sleeping. I think sleep is uh, super underrated and not enough people prioritize that they will, you know, ask about supplements when they're sleeping like six hours a night or something. So that's something that should be fixed before. Well, yeah, before you start uh, venturing off into supplements, but um, yeah. And then, so it, in general, it's just like, is it really worth like that extra tiny bit of benefit you get? And, uh, and another thing is, is like, I've experimented with a lot of the, even the supplements that do have evidence for them, and you just don't really notice that much of a difference unless you're talking about caffeine and creatine, which are the only ones that have like large bodies of evidence to support them. So uh, anything beyond that, it's just like, you can, you sure you could spend the money on it, but uh, you know, is it really gonna make a difference? Maybe, maybe, but you probably wouldn't even be able to see it to be honest. So just consider that next time uh, you ask about supplements. Yeah, also like uh, supplements, the way the ones that I always say is like my top five, are like whey protein or some kind of protein source, creatine, caffeine, and then I personally like the supplement vitamin D since a lot of people are deficient in vitamin D, and then fish oil, like my big five that I always talk about. Yeah, I was actually, sorry, so I was only thinking about like performance-related supplements, but uh, I definitely agree on the vitamin D and fish oil. Somebody actually asked about fish oil yesterday, and that's just, uh, yeah, fish oil is good just for like getting into fats, you know, overall health. Um, and then vitamin D, like you said, most people are deficient in it, deficient in it. And, uh, it seems like the evidence shows that, uh, you can go actually pretty well above the RDA and, uh, get, you know, good benefits from it. So, and especially now with COVID, I think, uh, there was a, a few studies that showed that it, uh, improves the response, like the symptoms to COVID too. So uh, that's just something also to consider. Um, and then like even something like a multivitamin, I wouldn't even bother fucking with. I think just uh, that more food, more vegetables or organ meats, if you're into that, would be a better investment than any multivitamin. So like the benefits for a multivitamin, <laughs> there are like none. There are no benefit. There are no documented benefits from a multivitamin in research, but there are tons from fruits and vegetables. So they are not the same. So just getting your fruits and veggies, forget about the multivitamin. Yeah, so like people always ask us about like the greens and the red, like juice supplements and stuff like that, you know, like the the greens. I hate those questions because it's like, it's all marketing and there's really no, I mean, you know, like eating like a bunch, like drinking like processed, like green powder is not the same thing as eating like a bunch of kale or carrots. Yeah, the major problem I have with those products is a lot of them, don't have 
fiber first, like they're or they're super low in fiber. They don't have the fiber that you would be getting from an equivalent serving of vegetables. And sometimes they don't even have the micronutrients, all the micronutrients listed on the label because you're not required to list all the micronutrients on a, on a like a, a nutrition label. So like, it's just, um, I'm like, are you actually even getting the full serving of vegetables or are you just getting like dehydrated green powder? So um, yeah, it's, but even if you are getting the full serving of vegetables, I have a hard time believing that it'll provide the same benefits as eating actual fruits and vegetables. Well, don't tell that to the advertisers on Fox News because I, every other ad I see is like, we've taken all of your favorite fruits and vegetables and put them down into these three simple pills that you have to take six times a day and we just took the water out. So you are getting all the benefits of broccoli and cucumber. And so they're making a killing in that industry. The supplement industry in general is making a killing. <laughs> how, oh, yeah. So let's, how much do you think it would cost to develop your own brand of protein? Like, because you can, I'm pretty sure you can go farm it out to like mass you know, production facilities and then slap your own name on it. Do you have any idea or Bobby, like exactly what that cost looks like up front? And then now we can then compare like how much it costs for each brand. So protein powders, uh, yeah, because like everyone sells it, it's so cheap. The, the margin is razor thin on protein powder. And in general, I have a, I know a guy who owns a supplement company and his isn't huge. Um, but he does have some volume. But um, he says the minimum order to get started, the smallest he was able to find was like $15,000 or something like that. So you're talking about razor thin margins and 15K is a pretty decent chunk if you ask me. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> I said, you probably make a lot more money just making your own like blended like pre-workouts and stuff like that. That's probably a lot easier to make. Cause I, I used to do that back in, like when I was younger. I used to make my own pre workouts, like buying bulk, like creatine, caffeine, like beta alanine, and just mixing it all together and just drinking that. I wonder like how many like protein companies out there and supplement companies are getting their stuff from the exact same like distribution warehouses that have all of the raw materials. So if, you know, whether GNC is exclusively, you know, selling to GNC and they have their own, uh, you know, production facility or, you know, whether Jim and all of these other supplement companies are the exact same products, but they just get wrapped at their own, you know, sorting houses. I think that's probably pretty accurate as far as like they're all the protein comes from like a couple of large producers and that just gets like subdivided down into individual like and then labels get packed on and, and they get branded but it's all like the same thing yeah i know optimum dimatized um i i think there's one more i want to say muscle farm but i'm not sure about the third one but those are the two big ones in the game um they get theirs from the same the same supplier i can't remember the name I want to say Europa Sports, but I, I feel like I'm getting that mixed up with something else. They might just be a wholesaler. Um, I don't know. But yeah, I know Optimum and Dimatize get it from the same source, and they're like the two the two biggest players. And I think that's really important to, to bring up because like you were mentioning, you know, whey protein good, like, but for performance reasons, I think then you see the difference in the marketing. So a lot of these companies will put a jacked individual on the front. And, you know, what you're saying is, hey, that that is not indicative of the product that they're taking right then and there. It's not this protein is going to make you look like it. But I think we've been so uh, 
like climatized to that kind of thinking or that rationalization, putting two and two together that people expect if I take X, Y, or Z protein, I'm going to look like this when we don't know what other supplements these people are taking. Yeah. Yeah. That happens a lot. Uh, I can guarantee you they did not get that way from whatever, uh, any legal ergogenic aid that's being advertised. So that definitely goes without saying, but people fall for that all the time. And uh, especially people that are desperate, they'll, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of like quackery, you know? So, uh, but yeah, that's just, uh, it's not, it's not an accurate representation at all of what they're actually taking. And most of the times, uh, like they're probably, I don't want to make a blanket statement here, but they're probably on steroids. <laughs> that is just the reality. Oh yeah, but if you call that out online, like the comment section blows up with "You're just jealous. You haven't put in the hard work. This person is is working their tail off. I hope they really like my comment that I've left here. I, I need the follows, or you know, like oh, you're just you're just salty because I mean, I you saw we we talked about it for a long time now. The CrossFit Games athletes, oh, they're regularly tested, you know, and you know they've got their diets, you know, really dialed in, and they are working out for five, six, seven hours a day. Um, so like, you know, maybe that's a, you know, a big factor, but you know, a lot of times I, I don't think that we should be able to sit here and say like, maybe this person's on it, but I think making these general statements definitely has some valid, uh, critiques of the industry when, you know, you've got medical experts, we got dietitians, nutritionists all saying like, this is really difficult to get this way on, you know, just the basics of focusing on your macronutrition and then a or B supplement. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, you have some of those guys that are, you know, advertising these products. Um, it's questionable whether that's even a, like if that's uh, attainable natural, you know, so what, what they currently look like. So, I mean, you can't go around testing everyone and like, there's no way to know for sure. But um, even if they are natural, uh, they probably have pretty darn good genetics. And that just doesn't apply to everyone who sees the advertisement. So that's just also, you know, something to consider. Um, not to say that you shouldn't try if you don't have this genetics or anything. But uh, it's just being realistic, you know. Yeah, so like, it's probably like a good portion that comes from like the Instagram, like influencers, or social media, like sphere where you know, pay like you get like a million followers and you look super jacked or look super good with your shirt off or in a bikini. And then you can just, just push products that are, you know, like the fit teas or like the proteins or what have you to the people or like fat burners or what have you. The people that just one don't know any better and two see like this really jacked or really pretty person and they just want to be like that. So. Yeah. I'd always, I'd always question that kind of thing though, because I feel like a lot of the, I definitely on the male side of the house, when you go to the, like their Instagrams, it's like their first supplement company, that's a sponsor. Then it's usually like a clothing company. Uh, and then maybe like a gym that they're, you know, uh, they adhere to the workouts from. And then for the female influencers out there, it's like number one is always some sort of a company that makes high waisted spandex. Um, because it's like, that's what draws people in now to identifying and distinguishing like the thin waist, the hips, the quads, like that is the, the faddish culture now for, for gym attire. And then it's like, okay, and I'm taking this fat burner, which is for me, it's confusing because you're like, well, you can't be that shapely or you can't have that shape and have 0% fat. So it's like the, 
the, I think it's like a, almost like a, a, the hypocrisy that you see on social media, but people don't read between the lines there and say, you can't have one without the other. Yeah. Yeah. So like it is, uh, yeah, but, uh, but, uh, yeah. So sorry, I just kind of missed what you said, but, uh, it wasn't scientific at all. I'm no. sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm swimming in the deep end. Yeah. It's like, as far as like fat burners go, I remember what is it? Like the, the one phosphate that's like the organophosphate. That's like the, like, um, what is it like there's only there's like no such thing as a fat burner because anything that you know increases your fat burning is it essentially increasing metabolism and then like what is it what, the, what is it there's like a, there's like this one like organophosphate that people used to like bodybuilders used to take as a fat burner that would like would kill you because it essentially stopped like oxidative phosphorylation you know what I'm talking about James uh you're not talking about one three no I think about yeah one three dimeth whatever yeah I don't know about killing people. Uh, I think it may like one or two, man, <laughs> maybe like one or two people it may have died from it. But um, yeah, one, three is uh, that's, that's like if, uh, in the original jacked. Oh, no, no, no. I'm talking about something different, but yeah, the one, three, yeah, that's just meth. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's like, it's really similar. Like molecularly, if you were to take the, take two pictures of the molecules, it's pretty similar to it. But, uh, and then there's also like ephedrine, but fat burners in general, um, if you're talking about like, so back to the, if you're talking about like legal ones, uh, the, the top players in the game would be like Yohimbi, Sinefrin, um, and the ones I'll just sum it up here. The ones that are, that have shown a benefit. Oh, caffeine is another one, obviously. Um, the ones that have shown a benefit aside from caffeine have really bad side effects. And I'm mostly talking about Yohimbi and Sinefrin here. Um, mostly having to do with just like heart palpitations, anxiety, um, Yohimbe could give you a boner that lasts for like a couple days too. That's something that's not ideal for some people, I guess. How, how much do you have to take for that? Yohimbe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like, I don't, I don't know. It's in milligrams. It's probably like 10, 20 milligrams or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, and then there is caffeine, but caffeine is actually a pretty, uh, effective fat loss supplement when you look at the it increases metabolic rate just a tiny bit and it blunts appetite really nicely so those two things can go a long way the increase in metabolic rate not as much because it's it's only like it's like 10 percent or not even 10 percent. it's very small but uh the blunting the appetite is a it's a big one i think it's really helpful for that um and then the other ones the, like garcinia cambogia raspberry ketones those are all pretty much garbage found useless um, and then there's xanthogen, which is brown seaweed extract. Uh, interestingly, that actually, it, it's probably one that not many people have heard of, but there are a few studies uh, not funded by the supplement companies, just, uh, uh, yeah, not funded by the, supplement by the supplement companies that make it, uh, which is really common in the supplement industry, um, actually found that women who, this was middle-aged women who ate at maintenance calories, uh, ended up losing like a significant amount of weight after like 16 weeks. I can't remember. It was like 10, 15 pounds, I think. Um, and that was found in a couple different studies. It was replicated a few different times, but, um, that's one that it's kind of like a hidden gem. I haven't tried it. Um, but I think that that is, that was really interesting. What could increase your, your metabolism? Cause you're, you know, like caffeine to a slight degree you were, you were saying, but 
Um, you know, Bobby was doing intermittent fasting. And I think one of the benefits of that uh, a while ago that this amateur uh, nutrition reader read uh, was that it helped increase the metabolism. So is that a thing or, or what can people do to do that? Uh, so no, fasting doesn't actually increase the metabolism. I think that started from this like really old study um, back in the 90s. It gets I see it get, getting cited a lot online by intermittent fasters saying it increases metabolism. But basically they measured energy expenditure through doubly labeled water, which is not accurate. It's outdated and we have better technology for that now, which is like metabolic chamber. So it was not an accurate reading at all, uh, but it did show it increased metabolism. But no, fasting doesn't actually... Uh, increase metabolism. In fact, it actually decreases metabolism slightly. And there is uh, some good evidence for that. I actually just saw a, a review on that the other day. But um, you're asking what might increase metabolism? Well, there's actually one thing that does for sure. And that's uh, eating more calories actually increases metabolism. So uh, same with like gaining weight, if you gain weight, uh, your metabolic your energy expenditure is going to increase. Um, so there's like a economic theory called like the real wealth effect. And it's basically simply stating that if you are making more money, you're going to spend more money. If you're going to, uh, if you're making less money, you're going to spend less money. Well, your body does the same thing with energy expenditure. So if you feed it more calories, it's going to be more wasteful with energy. Uh, if you, you know, go on a diet, you cut calories, it's going to conserve more energy. It's going to be more energy efficient. So same thing happens there with the body. Um, so the only real way you could actually, uh, speed up your metabolism is really just by eating more calories or gaining weight. That's, that's really the only way around it. Yeah. It's like, I think that's the common thing. It's like the best way to like lose or increase your metabolism is just to increase your lean body mass. Um, like the bigger you are, like the more muscle mass you have, the, the more your resting metabolic rate increases. Yeah, I will say that is true, but it's, uh, it's not as much as you think. So I think uh, per pound of muscle, uh, not just lean body mass, but I mean like pure tissue, the muscle tissue, uh, it's not a lot of calories. It's like uh, 20 calories per day or something like that per pound. So uh, if it's not really going to make a huge difference in the short term, maybe over like years, or if you just start training and you train for like six to eight months, and you gain like 10 pounds of muscle, it'll make a difference. But, uh, but yeah, increasing lean body mass is, is a way it's just not as much as, uh, as you would hope. <laughs> so you were mentioning like you could, you know, someone could eat anything essentially and, and fill their macros or, you know, find a way to, to satisfy what they need to eat for a day. Um, like very simply, I'm putting that, but is there like a food that you're like, never, ever, ever eat this food again? Like, don't ever consume Ben and Jerry's. I hope that's not a thing you say, but like, is there something, uh, you know, of a same equivalent standard? Yeah, there's just one, one, it's one food that would be uh, margarine probably. Mm. Uh, is that butter? And, and it's actually, margarine is illegal now to sell in grocery stores. So really? trans fat in general. Oh, trans fat. Starting 20, not margarine specifically, but trans fat. Um, so you can't sell trans fat in grocery stores because the name so bad for you. <laughs> it's, it's, it should be that way. So, um, I, but the reason I single out margarine is because, uh, you could simply use butter, which is not the greatest, but it's still a lot better than margarine. Um, but I wouldn't single out trans fat completely because I still think you could fit in like a donut, which has trans fat or like a cake here and there and still be fine. 
But if you're just using a pure trans fat source and just when there's like another, uh, you know, better substitute, then I just think that that's kind of silly because you could just use olive oil or something else that's way better for you. Um, but margarine is like the only food that I would think I just see no point in it because it's so bad for you and there's another better substitute for it. How do you feel about um, the whole vegetable oil debate? Cause that's, that's like a new thing about people that, you know, rail against like canola oil or like soybean oil. Coconut like oil. Other, yeah. Yeah. So like it's because they think it causes like inflammation, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, don't, I haven't seen any like real evidence for that. But um, in general, like vegetable oils are a hell of a lot better than, uh, you know, like solid fats. So like, you know, like your, your meat fats or like your saturated fats or your trans fat. But um, I wouldn't, I don't think that vegetable oils are bad for you. In fact, I think that it could be beneficial if you're substituting them with, you know, worse solid fat sources. But um, until like, yeah, so until I see some hard evidence that, you know, there's like C-reactive protein goes up from uh, vegetable oil consumption, then like, uh, yeah, I'm not going to hop on that train yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I've, uh, I know in like the, um, in like some of the textbooks I've read as far as like omega-3s versus omega-6s and like omega-3s are inherently a little more inf- inflama- inflammatory than omega-6s and then um, I know like your a lot of the vegetable oils are higher in omega three fatty acids versus omega sixes, and that like imbalance can cause an inflammatory state. But that's like theoretical. That I, but like I said, I haven't seen any studies that actually show that like, a vegetable based omega three high fat or high omega threes would cause um, like inflammatory states. I think that comes from like the paleo crowd. They tend to be really paranoid against inflammation which isn't like an inflammation isn't even like inherently bad. You, you still need some. And like, uh, that happens from weight training too. So are you going to just stop weight training too? Because it yes. causes inflammation. So. <laughs> and so if we have to go like grocery shopping, um, and I'm walking down the oil section cause I, I like to, you know, saute vegetables or, you know, like put something down for the meat. Um, do you have like a rank order of vegetable oil, olive oil, canola oil, you know, coconut oil, is there, is there such a a ranking system for you or do you have recommendations for people that just want to saute vegetables over, you know, one oil over the other? Not really. I would say olive and canola would probably be the better options. Um, coconut would be more neutral. Um, cause that's been shown to, I think it's been shown to raise HDL, but also raises LDL cholesterol, but the other oils like, or, or sorry, specifically olive and canola oil, uh, have been found to specifically lower LDL um, when replacing keyword replacing with like other solid fat sources like you know animal fats or whatever. So I would just say if you want to, I mean, but again, it's probably not going to make a huge difference at the end of the day. If you're replacing um, solid fats sources like saturated fat with uh, you know any vegetable based oil, you'll probably see that benefit. Um, if you want to be sure, just probably go olive or canola. Those would be my two recommendations i think it's funny that you talk about like these oils are like better for you and then you have other like carnivore fanatics that say like animal based oils are better for you and like the cholesterol doesn't matter um <laughs> yeah 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 because yeah, like uh who is it um the one carnivore uh what was sean baker name? yeah sean baker like does like his blood work and his like cholesterol is like in the 300s 
But he says that's good because he's high in cholesterol. It's like better, but he doesn't have any heart, like cardiovascular diseases. But I'm just like, I wonder if that maybe the the root cause of all this issue is like inflammation. Like, because I think eating a carnivore diet, I imagine, isn't super inflammatory. But I don't, I don't really know. Like, I think that's kind of where the new um, research is kind of shifting is like towards inflammation, figuring out ways to reduce inflammation in your diet. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, that is where we're headed. Yeah, because I think like uh, you know your processed foods, your sugars, your, your uh, like highly processed foods and starches, all like super inflammatory. So I think that is kind of where um, a lot of the uh, trends are going in terms of like figuring out optimum health is like minimizing dietary inflammation. Yeah. So with like we talk about animal fat, would you recommend? Like people can, you know, again, eating within that umbrella of your macros and, you know, generally tracking everything you have to consume, would you still say like eating regular bacon is fine or would you like say go to turkey bacon? I mean, these are all like very generic and I know everyone's, you know, individually, you know, uh, programmed, but are, are there certain kind of like major macro food groups that you would recommend more over, uh, over others? Yeah. So, um, basically I'll put it like this. If uh, the, the main drivers in health are like the healthy habits you have. And that's mainly driven by four habits. And this is kind of like backed by research. Those four habits, uh, they don't relate to diet as much as you would think, but they, it does a little bit. So it's eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, uh, not drinking alcohol, not smoking and exercising. And then a fifth bonus one that I throw in on top is maintaining a healthy weight. But uh, actually, interestingly, they find that people with those four healthy habits um, have the same mortality rates regardless of their, their body weight. So if you have those four healthy habits and you're overweight, you're, you actually live just as long, apparently. But anyways, um, so yeah, if you're a healthy weight and you have all those four of those things, you could probably just run with the rule of practicing moderation and, fig- and fitting just about uh, anything in your diet and then tapering the quantities to your goals. So like, you know, if you could probably eat some bacon, but oh, make it two slices because you're trying to lose weight and you can't overdo the calories. Two bacon's not going to work for me, man. I'm I'm a I'm a four slice guy. But yeah, I think the the issue is is what defines like moderation or uh, you know, balance. And I think a a good rule for that would be like the 80/20 rule. So if you're tracking calories, 20% of your calories, they call it discretionary energy, which is like calories you could use for the fun foods like cake or pizza or whatever and 80 percent of that food um again it's hard to have definitions here i don't want to say the word clean because everyone's definition of clean is different and it's kind of like a nebulous term but um i would say i guess whole minimally processed foods would be uh i guess better so uh so yeah if you follow an 80 20 rule is pretty much the what i would consider the gold standard for moderation and balance so if you have those four healthy habits, you could just practice an 80-20 rule, taper your uh, quantities to towards whatever your goal is, and then you'll probably be fine running with that. Yeah, like tonight, Super Bowl Sunday, I'm for sure eating a bunch of pizza and wings. So, you know, it's my one day of the week, about 20%. <laughs> what, what about alcohol? You, you mentioned alcohol, though. Uh, what, what kind of detrimental effect does that have on like planning out your, your healthy eating for a week, because you'll have people say, Oh, I only, you know, I cheat one day a week. 
you know, I, I have a cheat meal. Does that really throw off significantly any gains that you've made, quote unquote, or um, is there a healthy way to consume alcohol uh, considering, you know, a, a dietary goal? Yeah. So in fat with, uh, if you're talking about fat loss, one cheat day can literally undo a whole week's worth of progress. And I've seen people do this where they will have like maybe a 500 calorie deficit for like, you know, five, six days of the week. And then they have one binge day where they eat like probably it doesn't go tracked. I'm telling you that right now, they don't track it. But if you were to track it, I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up, you know, four or 5,000 calories. So they're under, so if your goal is fat loss, you could easily undo a whole week's worth of a deficit with just one bad day of like junk food and alcohol. Uh, in terms of gains though, you can actually, uh, if you practice moderation with alcohol, as long as you're not getting drunk, um, you could still make decent gains. Like if you're say you're bulking, you're trying to put on muscle. Um, and actually it wouldn't be bad because alcohol does stimulate appetite a little bit. It could help you get in more calories. Um, but uh, yeah, if you go, if you're getting drunk though, then that can definitely impair recovery. Um, it also impair fat loss because your body has to burn off the alcohol before it does any fat oxidation. Um, so if you're trying to gain, you could probably uh, fit in like, you know, moderate amounts of alcohol. Again, it's, it's all about moderation here. Um, like one to two, you're talking like uh, two to three drinks for men, one to two for females uh, on, you know, any given day. And then, uh, but if your goal is fat loss and you want to fit in alcohol, it's a lot harder because like I said, alcohol does stimulate your appetite. You're, uh, you're less on your guard. So you're more likely to be like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to, you know, fit in this pizza and I'm not going to worry about it. You're, you're not going to give a shit as much basically. So you're more likely to just ruin your diet. Uh, if you're getting, you know, plastered. So basically the moral of the story is just don't get plastered. Um, even if your goal is fat loss, you could still probably fit in like one or two trulies, uh, um, unless you're like a really small female that's on like a 1000 calorie diet. Um, it would be harder then. But um, so, yeah, if your goal is fat loss or if your goal is any goal, you should just or sorry, let me back up. If your goal is fat loss, I would just keep it out just to be safe completely um, at the most like moderate amounts, like one to three drinks. Maybe um, if you're trying to bulk, you could definitely fit it in uh, probably like, you know, like I said earlier, two to three drinks for men, one to two for women on any given day. And uh, it could be helpful for just getting in extra calories. So. But moderation really is the key. That's kind of like the best advice that I could give for when it comes to consuming anything, basically. That's great. Yeah, so I probably prefer a little bit of red wine uh, over other alcohol. I guess you could do like clear alcohols, like clear liquors, and then red wine would be my preferred way to get some of the, um, you know, phytonutrients. Antioxidants, I believe, is in red wine. Correct, correct, correct. Look at that. Look, look at, I brought science to the table. Okay, guys? Yeah, and, uh, I think even red wine. Uh, so when they study the Mediterranean diet, one of the, I guess, rules or whatever of the Mediterranean diet is to consume some red wine in moderation. And so when they study the Mediterranean diet, they have they instruct the people to you know consume some red wine in uh, moderation. And it's they actually attribute that to part of the benefits of the cardio on cardiovascular health from the Mediterranean diet is just that little bit of red wine here and there. So uh, I guess if you're going to drink, make it, make it red wine. <laughs> it's that resveratrol. Resveratrol. Antioxidants. Um, yeah, I was like, I think it's interesting that we, if you, I mean, 
I think that's a good dynamic point that I kind of want to bring up. It's like eating versus performance, eating versus health, and then like eating versus wellness. I think those are all like different goals, and I think that um, I think people kind of can blur the lines between the, the you know different goals of eating. But like uh, eating for performance and like you know physical performance is going to be completely different than eating for like longevity and health. You know, like eating for performance, like you're gonna be eating, like eating the same thing over and over again. You probably aren't getting as like high nutrient dense foods, and probably debatable. But you know, eating for health and longevity is gonna be different than how you would eat for like to you know work out for three hours or four hours a day. Well, I think some some of that goes back though to like people just don't know what they're training for. Like you've, you've got no idea when you step onto the scale, what, what are your goals? You'll get people that are like, I'm going to do a three month bulk because it's beach season. And they just like the entire year is just this like roller coaster. And so there's no consistency whatsoever. Yeah. I think that's one issue is a lot of people will, I guess the term is like spin their wheels, hopping back from bulk to cut because they can't decide or, uh, they, they bulk too hard. They, they go all out. And then like, oh, I gained too much fat, so I got to cut now. Um, I think the majority of the time, I think if, you, if, you're deba- if you're debating whether you should bulk or cut, I almost feel like I can answer this without knowing anything. And sometimes I just feel like the answer is just to bulk. Uh, and by, by probability, uh, that, would, that could potentially be right because you should be spending more time bulking than cutting automatically, like by default. E- everybody should be, you should, unless you're... Uh, now, obviously, unless your starting point is like super obese or something, but if you're starting at a normal health point, then uh, you should be spending more time bulking than cutting. It should be like uh, probably, I would say, eight months bulking to four months cutting throughout the year. That would probably be ideal. For, again, it's, it is a little bit dependent on where the person starts, but that wouldn't be a bad recommendation at all, in my opinion. You should def- definitely be spending uh, more time bulking than cutting because you're you need to gain, you need to, uh, in order to put on muscle, you need to be on, be in a surplus. So, uh, and cutting, uh, it, it doesn't take that long if you bulk properly. So, yeah. Yeah. So like for, for me personally, I've, I think shifted away from like a bulking or like cutting mentality and more of like a maintenance or eating to, you know, sustain what I'd like to do versus anything else. Um, I've become more of a big fan of like kind of, um, you know, intuitive eating and just being able to you know control and kind of eat what i think i need to eat for the day to maintain like my energy levels and stuff like that but uh i'm also uh i like to i've done some research into like the blue zone diets and kind of the blue zones because that's kind of interesting to me is like maximizing your health and longevity which i think is a little bit different than um how we're taught nutrition wise to like maximize performance um you know like the blue zone diets james um isn't that like is that where the, they have a list of like yes foods and no foods kind of thing like good foods and bad foods kind of no like the blue zone the blue zone is like these are the areas in the world where people have like a high proportion of like they lived like 100 years old so like places like i think like sardinia in italy okinawa in japan um someplace in california because like the seventh day adventists but pretty much like the 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 there's a lot more there's some research into like longevity and long-term health and that um in order to maximize like your life essentially you're supposed to eat like minimally processed foods foods high and like um like a diet high in like uh plants and vegetables and, ve- and fruit low in like meat product like animal products 
higher in like fish products and like um yeah a slight caloric deficit throughout your life or something like that and that the all increases like your your longevity yeah there's that yeah i that, those all sound good to me uh the big one would be for me would be the minimize animal products and maximize like fruit and veggie consumption and whole grains too those would be the the two big ones um yeah so i'm guessing where these blue zones aren't philadelphia uh atlanta kansas city um dallas and austin pretty much your standard american diet yeah like you can't have any cheesesteaks is what i'm hearing sorry gyms but it's all moderation you know i think it's like if you get too tied in or too um fanatical about your diet and nutrition i think you you know pay for that in psychological health and mental well-being oh I, i've got a quick question uh for james so like you know we're, we're talking about the bulking phase right and we'll see like a lot of celebrities like dwayne the rock johnson personal hero of mine uh chris hemsworth all of these actors they make it seem like really simple like they you know the rock will post that he's just consumed like 35 pancakes um if people look at that, what should we also be taking into consideration? Like, is there some diet that we're not seeing them uh, do throughout the week? Steroids. That's what you don't see them doing. Uh, the Rock is, uh, if I had to guess, I would say, so um, I'm, I like to think I'm decent at calling out uh, gear users, but for The Rock, it's obvious, obviously. But, uh, <laughs> obvious that he works hard, hard work pays off, hypothetically speaking, if one were to use it. We have to protect ourselves legally. <laughs> yeah, but uh, if I had to guess, I would think The Rock is, uh, I think when he was doing Fast and Furious, he was blasting. So he was on like high doses of a whole bunch of different compounds. And I think now if I had to guess, his physique has went down a little bit. I would say, I would have to guess he's cruising. He's on TRT right now. And uh, it's probably because he's getting older too. And he's not doing as many like, you know, movies like Fast, Fast and Furious. Um, but yeah, so. Like Moana. Because he looked huge in Moana. Isn't that, isn't that the, the animation one? A- animation, I think it's real. Terrible joke. Terrible joke. Continue, James. <laughs> but uh, the drug use is one. And I'm willing to bet that uh, I don't know what the Rock's diet is. But he doesn't eat like that every day. I've seen his cheat meals. I've seen, they are ridiculous. Um, and that, that brings up another interesting uh interesting point is that if you do that uh you know studies actually show uh this is from brian bouchard i actually specifically remember the researcher's name so you could look this up brian bouchard at all um they actually studied uh, periods of acute overfeeding so like just overfeeding for like two or three days at a time and then returning to baseline wash them out and then do it again um so it actually doesn't result in that much fat gain it results in a large weight spike but most of it's water weight um and then like you know refilling glycogen too but the actual fat gain from like i can't remember it was like a 1000 calorie above maintenance is uh for like five days was very low it was very low so if you overfeed like just like one or two days here and there by a lot it's not going to make a, it's probably not going to make a huge difference the real weight gain the obesity problem we see in america that's from years of damage of just like overeating hypochloric uh, or hyperpotable uh, junk food. But so, yeah, if you're doing what The Rock does, if you probably have a good diet, uh, you know, I'm not saying you could lose weight doing this because like what I said earlier, you could easily undo a diet from one binge day. 
but you could easily stay the same in the same shape having like one all out day per week um, and then being moderate or small deficit the rest of the days of the week. So I think, it, I think what he does is uh, it's definitely possible because, you know, look at him, but uh, yeah, people also need to consider what the rest of his diet looks like. Well, but we talk about genetics. So like if, you know, his, his dad was a physical specimen was, you know, a wrestler, and when he was like 15 or 16, because he's got a show coming out on NBC, um, which I'm really excited about. I mean, but he, he was just a jacked teenager because I think he was from Allentown, Pennsylvania. But like so we've got to focus on someone's potential genetics, um, maybe their age when we consider their metabolism. Um, what are some other things that you think if people want to mirror – because a lot of these these athletes or movie stars have coaches that will write their own program and people will buy the program from, you know, Chris Hemsworth strength coach or train like these individuals. Uh, would you recommend not doing that? Or, you know, what, what would you recommend when you see these kind of advertisements and look like this guy? Like, does that does that play maybe a little bit of a factor like with, you know, a, a hypertrophy f- cycle? Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, is like, uh, that, in my opinion, it just it doesn't like uh, just because it's you're doing what they're doing, it doesn't speak for the quality of the program. You know what I'm saying? So uh, a lot of things go into you know someone's impressive physique, and a training program is just one of those things. And it could be a large part, but like you said, genetics, uh, you know, drug use, other things like that also play a huge part. So I think people just need to be aware that like there's more that goes into it than just the training program that uh, they wrote. So um, it's kind of like appeal to authority. If anyone's familiar with that, like, you know, something's not legitimate or credible just because it comes from uh, what you would think is like a credible source or something. Uh, You have to have more evidence behind it. So I think in general, if people want to find like a good training program, um, well, first of all, shameless self-plug, Cronus Fit has decent ones. (laughs) But uh, I think one of the best ways to do it is to either get a coach or learn how to program yourself because writing up a good training program is so individually dependent uh, based on like training history, um, especially mostly based on training history and what you've done in the past. So I think one of the best things you could do for yourself is actually just teach yourself how to do it yourself. So you would be set for life, you know, teach a man to fish kind of thing. Yeah, we actually had a question about this uh, this last week in the Q and A about like what's the best program between like you know all all the big you know programmers out there, and I think I'm a huge believer in the fact that like the best program is one that you are consistent with. Like all pro- programs are gonna produce results no matter like what they program for, but the one that produces the best result is the program that you stay consistent with and that you are able to um, follow like consistently without um, like quitting too early and just letting it do its course. Um, but that's like, it's all individualized. Yeah. Yeah. Like we we're talking about with diet, how the best diet is just one you could stick to same thing applies to training, but I do feel like, uh, more people are adherent to training than they are diet. I don't know. That's just kind of like a feeling I have, uh, when they're working out, especially the people that are listening, they're more likely to stick to a training program than they are their diet. But that's just a hunch I have. Yeah. I'll say like for the rock, I think I, from what I understand why he does these large cheat meals is that they're like his refeed meals because I'm pretty sure he eats at like a pretty much a caloric deficit throughout, you know, his week. And then where he's like depleting his glycogen stores and then he has this huge meal with like high in sugars to replete his glycogen uh, as, and also like to pump him up for 
Cause I think he times it for like his uh, like shooting days where he's yeah. like shirtless or something. And that's another like interesting thing that bodybuilders would do is like manipulate like sh- uh, sugars and and sodium to like plump up or to to bu- to buff up for a shoot or something. But that's like that's like the one percent, like point one percent of like a normal person's diet or like this is like the minutia. Yeah, typically they would do like a depletion workout. So yeah. that's like super high reps to deplete glycogen and it super compensates. But yeah, uh, for me, like I never saw the point of that because it's it's all cosmetic and it's temporary. Oh yeah, but that's but that's, like, he does it for his shoots. Like, but that's how like, you get likes. What am I supposed yeah. to do? But that's like I think that's why he does his like his these like massive cheat meals because he plumps up for and not like a shirtless shoot or something like that. Or like big videos or should be every shoot i don't i don't if i look like that dude i wouldn't i maybe i'd wear a speedo that that'd probably be it yeah but you'd also be like crushing like testosterone i think that's another thing that people don't give enough credit to is like the amount of you know peds out there especially in the social media and like celebrity world is like everybody's juiced up to the gills and that you're full you're lying to yourself if you think you can look like the rock yeah yeah i think uh people need to realize that steroids is, is way more common than like i'm talking about your average person who may not be like uh as much into fitness uh i think they they need to realize that steroids is actually like super common like around gyms it's just like uh, a lot of people just hop on them you know it's not that hard to you know find them so uh and then like obviously celebrities have like kind of like a financial incentive to you know look better and so they'll hop on them. A lot of people, you know, athletes will do it too. So it's just a lot more common than you would expect from like a layperson's point of view, in my opinion. Yeah, I remember like uh, I I follow some of the like the the steroid subreddits on Reddit, and like people that post like progress pictures. I'm like, I don't know why you're using steroids because you obviously have only been like lifted for like a year. Like your physical phys- your physique is like an amateur at best, but you're like popping on like. You know, huge blast cruising blast doses of steroids i'm like i don't understand why people will, like hop on steroids without for, like at least getting to their genetic potential first but that's like a whole nother you want to use it as an ace card use it when there's nothing left in the tank yeah boosts you so yeah i've seen that a lot too and it's just like it's almost pointless when you use it uh when you just start training because you would have steroid like gains when you begin training anyways mm-hmm. so you might as well just do it naturally and then <laughs> save it for later for when the gains are harder to make. Yeah. I was like, that's what I was saying. Like you should probably reach like your 90% of your genetic potential before you start hitting any PEDs. But for like the vast, vast majority of people listening, it's like, you're not going to need PEDs until you're getting to like, until, you know, not that I'm advocating for PEDs, but like you should not need to take PEDs until you are well within your like training maturity getting that point of your life where you might need a little boost well it's just people getting away from like that consistency wanting to take the shortcut like hey how Mm. how can i max the pt test by just doing bench press like you're not going to be able to you have to do push-ups you have to do your leg tucks um and you know we talked about it a little bit but people taking uh shortcuts like oh if i if i wear a whoop strap and i take whey protein like i'm gonna be i know all the secrets i'm gonna be able to like you know, maximize my potential. And then, you know, they, they totally forget anything that James said with like, Hey, diet plays such a crucial role, you know, whoop strap measures like some of the recovery, but you can, you can get a dial in on that. Like you were saying by programming yourself, by figuring out what works for you. 
Yeah, I was like, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I started lifting weights when I was 12 years old. So I've been like lifting, like fitness, I've been doing fitness, quote unquote fitness for almost fitness. 20 years now. So it's like, obviously, you know, after doing it for almost two decades, I kind of know how my body works and how to program and how to do all these things. But like, if you're just starting out, like there's no, you know, there's, you, you just have to put the time and the effort and there's no shortcuts to like getting to peak 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 physical performance there's no shortcuts it's literally years if not decades of hard work to like get to a certain point because like most people i think when they get join the military they like you know they think that they'll be like the, like peak physical condition but like i don't even consider like someone to be um an intermediate physically intermediate until they're like at least five training years in you know you're still beginner until like probably year three or four and then after year three or four of training of like decent consistent training that i would consider someone to be like a intermediate uh to like to be like intermediate physical fitness yeah it heavily depends on how they spent their time training and eating because like i've seen people in the gym who you know are like middle-aged people who are like oh yeah i've been training for like 20 years but it doesn't even look like they've ever touched a weight in their life so Mm -hmm. yeah it depends on how you spend that time Um, but the good news is if you didn't spend that time you know doing things optimally or very well um it's not like you missed out on those gains if you just start doing things uh better eating more protein training more consistently things like that getting enough sleep um once you start doing it like you will make up for the gains you missed out so it's not like you missed this window of opportunity which uh i've talked to some people and they kind of tend to think that uh oh like they missed their new gains or whatever it's still there it just it depends on how much progress you've made and you could always make it up later so uh so yeah I think it's one of the big things with like CrossFit though, why people were so invested in it early because you'd hear so many stories of, I've only been doing CrossFit for a year and I made the games. I've only been doing CrossFit for two years and I'm now at regionals when we used to have them or, you know, I've qualified for all these things. But then now you see the only people that are making the games are the ones that have been in it for three, four, five, ten years, you know, of consistently doing these exercises. You know, you've got to have consistency in your diet, in your fitness, in your recovery, like you can't just pick and choose randomly and expect to get ahead in, you know, like these really large arenas anymore. Yep. Um, anything else you guys want to talk about? We're getting, uh, I would say, we're getting private to the point where we start wrapping it up for this week. Um, uh, I think we covered a lot. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, this is, I think, a good plug for James for anybody that's listening still. If you have questions about your nutrition, uh, obviously James is a big um, resource, a huge resource, and why we kind of brought him onto the team to help out with some nutrition coaching and helping out with you guys to figure out kind of your um, how to tweak your um, some something that we, you know, something that you might not be the most versed in. Like we have the training pretty much on the training aspect from programs but now you know nutrition is a huge part of training so um if you have any questions about you know optimizing your training uh sign up for the nutrition programming uh where you get like one-on-one time with james and can figure out a uh, good program for your way forward yeah james dude so thanks so much for like coming in today and like for everything you've been doing the last couple months but really dialing it in for like lay people like me who have zero idea when you and Bobby go back and forth on the super technical, but being able to tell me, you know, exactly what I would need to do, it um, makes a huge difference. Like, you know, huge resource for, for the Cronus fit fam. Yeah, no problem. I love to help. So 
Yeah, I say we'll probably do these a little bit more often. Uh, I think next time I'll poll the Instagram community to see what other questions people might have um, for for you, and then we'll kind of go back and do some more of these uh, topics that we did today. Um, any other closing comments between you guys? Um, I'll just throw my email out there. Email out there. It's James at chronosfit.org. So if anyone has questions about you know the coaching process or you just uh, just questions in general, feel free to email me. Yeah. If you're on the website under the contact us, uh, James is, I believe, on there as well. Um, if you are, if you can't remember, James at chronosfit.org. <laughs> <laughs> it's James with an apostrophe, right? All right. Uh, with that, guys, appreciate you guys sitting through this week. Um, and we will catch up with you guys next week. Peace. Later, guys.